I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. Rochelle B. Weinstein is the USA Today and Amazon best-selling author of emotionally driven women's fiction, including When We Let Go, This Is Not How It Ends, Somebody's Daughter, Where We Fall, The Morning After, and What We Leave Behind. Rochelle spent her early years always with a book in hand, raised by the likes of Sidney Sheldon and Judy Bloom. A former entertainment industry executive, she splits her time between sunny South Florida and the mountains of North Carolina. When she's not writing, Rochelle can be found hiking, reading, and searching for the world's best nachos. She is currently working on her seventh novel. Welcome, Rochelle. Hi, Chris. It's so great to see you. And hi to everybody. Thank you for having me. This is your second time on my podcast, and the first time you were in edits for the novel that you're now releasing. So tell us about When We Let Go. When We Let Go, if you haven't already read the back cover, is the story of Avery Beckett, and she is a broken woman who has a dark secret from her past that is compromising a current relationship in her life. And she goes back to the mountains of North Carolina. She was living in Florida and she worked at Biscaya, which is absolutely beautiful, which I highly recommend to anybody who comes to Miami. So she goes home to North Carolina to take care of an ailing father. And she has a stowaway in her car and it is her boyfriend's 15-year-old troubled daughter, and they end up road tripping to North Carolina. And these two broken women have a lot of laughs and healing and hope in the mountains. And I guess we'll leave it at that without giving too much away. I read it as soon as I got the galley and I loved the humor. Elle, the daughter, she's hilarious. Just the way they played off each other with the sisters. What inspired the story? You know, it's funny. This story has gone through so many different iterations. It was an entirely different story. I was writing from a male protagonist, but I always knew it was going to be a story about the things we hold on to, the things that hold us back, the things that weigh us down and how these personal journeys we take in order to heal. You know, you see so many people around you that they don't even realize or recognize what they're holding on to. And, you know, I've done some of my own work. You and I have talked about this with, you know, my, you know, self-awareness and my own growth. And I've seen how much I have grown from, you know, letting go of certain things. And I wanted to tell a story where these characters learn about forgiveness and acceptance and become fully whole again. It's interesting in some of these early reviews I've gotten already, I've had readers say that they didn't realize what they were holding on to so many things that they see themselves. So it's that relatable component. That is what I always strive for that theme, you know, in all my books, but primarily this one. We want to assume that we know why right. why we're making decisions. Mm-hmm. And you don't know unless you're in their shoes. Right. And you don't know what all is in an individual's mind that holds them back. And I think that was what was so cool in this book. Avery, first look at it and go, well, gosh, just get over it. Just move on. You know, yeah, this great guy. 
But it's not that easy. It's not that simple. And relationships are complicated and you hit the nail on the head. We don't always see what's inhibiting us from moving forward. And I feel like such a beautiful component to the story was the L. Avery relationship where Mm -hmm. they were both these two broken, wounded souls who were holding on to anger, pain, sadness, regret. Avery couldn't see it in herself. She saw it in L. Mm-hmm. And only then was like holding up mirrors to each other. And only then were they able to heal each other. And it's not without laughs and cow's milk getting shot in your eye on the farm. <laughs> <laughs> that was so fun. That yeah, was one of the loveliest parts of this is that, you know, I got into it and I was thinking it was about Avery and Jude. Yeah. But then you get into the meat of the story and it's really Avery and Elle. It was refreshing to have that view into the relationship. Yeah, it's funny. You're right. It really started out as one of my love stories, but then writing Avery L and even Willow, well, Willow is Avery's sister who she's estranged from. It's part of Avery's secret from the past. So when she goes home to see her dad, she's got to deal with her sister who they've barely spoken in like seven years. And, you know, then you've got L. And Elle and Willow have formed an alliance. You know, it was like a mean girl situation. And, you know, you have all the dynamics there. The sisters, I didn't know this going into it. And I say this to people all the time, you know, your characters take you places. But I had so much fun writing these three characters' scenes together. Like um, when they were fly fishing, three women fly fishing. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was so much fun to write. You can tell when somebody is really having fun writing a book because it shows Mm -hmm. on the page and when they're just showing up for work, it's usually a book that sounds a lot like another book they've written and it's nice, pleasant, but it doesn't give you that spark. And this had a lot of spark in it. Thank you. You know, it's funny. I get asked a lot if I read books while I'm writing and I do. In fact, I'm reading Chris Klink's book right now, everybody. Sissy Sissy Klein is completely normal. You know, when you're reading a book and like you read like a scent and you just get such a feeling from a scene, like, okay. So imagine that feeling when you're reading a book and then when you're writing your book and you feel that feeling, like if I cannot capture that feeling I get when I'm reading another book, you know, in my own book, then I know that I haven't knocked it out of the park yet, that I haven't nailed it, you know? And if you're a big reader, think about that too. Think about those books that make you feel something while you're reading it. What it is that the writer's conveying, try to replicate that in your own writing, obviously not copying it, but digging deeper. So you get that feeling when you're reading it. And it's not just work. It's really like capturing a moment. You can tell in the plotting as well. None of us are telling an original story. It's the same stories they've been telling from ancient times. We've got technology and we've got new clothes and new places, but they're the same stories. And yet it would be easy to take success with one book and you just keep using that recipe. This and all your books, they have the same feel and the same voice. They have your beautiful voice, but that's why we go back for more because you give us that feel, but then you give us a fresh story. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I have to ask about this cover. The cover is gorgeous. It's my favorite of all my covers. I looked at covers online. I knew I wanted flowers. So I literally Googled book covers with flowers and I came up with like a bunch of covers and I sent them to Lake Union. And I said, I would just love something with this flowery, warm feel, colorful. They came up with the suitcase, you know, the baggage that we carry with us and 
they sent me a bunch of versions, which is what they do as they should. So there was one, which was this cover. And then there was some with like mountains, you know, to capture, you know, the farm in North Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. And there was one with like a woman and the, you know, the woman with the back of her head and the road and all this stuff. And I just looked at this one and I'm like, this is it. They nailed it. First shot. And when you said that about the suitcase, I know what I thought before I read the book about the suitcase. Now, when I look at it, I see something totally different. What do you Because I thought it was, well, when I first saw it, I was like, okay, there's a suitcase. She's going to take a road trip. She works with flowers. Okay. Now, when I look at it, I see the baggage, the suitcase and the flowers coming out and there's a butterfly and it's like she's released the baggage. I was just doing another interview and I came up with this, that to me, it was Avery blooming. It was Mm -hmm. L blooming. We were like rising. Seeds were planted and how they blossomed into these beautiful women. I don't mean beautiful externally. I mean, you know, within. It's a beautiful story, beautiful cover, beautiful author. You're such a sweetheart. I love talking to you. You were one of my very first interviews. And when I was still trying to figure all this out and And I I sent you, who did I send you to? Oh, you sent me Terry Lonsdale. You sent me a bunch. By the way, that's what this business is all about. You know, when you let go, when you let go, you're opened up to so much more. My happiest moments are supporting the other authors. I can't, I can't stand promoting myself. When another author has a project that comes out, myself included, you are exceptionally generous. It doesn't go unseen. I mean, we are all so appreciative of what you do. You have such a generous heart. This is what we do for each other. I'm grateful. How do you keep things fresh and stay inspired? You're writing your... The seventh book is done. I just finished the first draft. So right now I'm doing a read through. It is about a Rolling Stone reporter in the nineties who is trying to find the inspiration behind this famous love song. And in the midst of investigating and trying to find this woman, she compromises her current relationship. And it's a dual timeline in the seventies and the nineties. And it's got all the elements of nostalgic music and Rolling Stone, stuff like that. So that was such a fun book to write. I knew I always wanted to write that book, but I was nervous and it was a big challenge. I'm editing that book right now. It's due at the publishing house in July And that's scheduled to release next spring of 2023. So as far as to answer your real question, keeping things fresh, you know, again, I hear that my books are relatable and people see themselves in them. So I'm always looking at life around me and relationships and couples that I know or my own family drama. And, you know, I find inspiration wherever I look. If there is a message, if there's something that my readers can glean from it and learn and grow from, that's the seed where I start. Because that to me is the most important piece is, you know, leaving them with something to think about, to think about themselves, to think about others, not just to tell a great story. I want it to mean something to them. When did you know you were a writer? Oh God, I still don't know that I'm a writer. <laughs> you are a writer. Don't we all have imposter syndrome? Hello, I am. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I was always a journal writer. I was too afraid to share my writing with the world. I did not write my first book until I was 30. I was 30, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because my kids were born. And my first book came out in 2012. I honestly don't know how it happened. It just... You know, some people have these specific goals in their life. This wasn't a goal for me. I wrote that first book. I needed to get a story out. I needed to get a lesson onto the page. And then I wrote another book and 
I just couldn't not write. So I always have these stories. I have characters that speak in my head. I'm in the shower, I'm in bed, I'm walking the dog. And I'm like, oh my God, that would make such a great story. It's something that's a part of me. Were there books or movies when you came into adulthood that you'd see and you go, oh, I want to do that. I want to write that. I want to do that. I didn't say I want to do that, which is interesting. And no shame here. I was a Danielle Steele lover. Okay. I read Judy Bloom. Like there's no literary elitist in me. You know, I read everything, but I remember reading Danielle Steele books as a kid and saying to myself, I could write this, like I could write this story. And I don't know why, I don't know why it's just, that's something that thought I could do that. She definitely inspired me. And you know what? You could say whatever you want about her books. You know, people are like, ah, the trashy books or whatever, whatever. God bless her and look at her success, you know? Mm -hmm. And what author wouldn't want that success? People are buying those books because she takes them to a different place. Correct. She gives them hope. She gives them love. And they see some part of themselves in those characters. They are really escapists and you truly are taken away. I remember going to the library when I was a kid. I don't know how old I was, maybe 11, 12 or so. My dad would take me every week and he'd stay out in the car. And I remember checking out like Judith Krantz books in the library. And I'm pretty sure thought they were for my mom. Like I need to recheck this out. I was like the last of four. And by the time I came along, my mom was like in a midlife crisis or something. And so I was alone all the time. You're freaking me out because I'm the baby of four. My mom raised me. She was a single mom. Uh By the time I came along, mom was back at work. I was left alone. I mean, listen, I, I call it benign neglect. I call it benign neglect because my mom raised me to be really independent of her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was working since I was 14, but I had my nose in a book, like the minute she walked out the door, I feel like those authors raised me. We've never discussed that connection. That's too funny. It goes girl, boy, boy, girl. I'm the baby girl. So I'm the baby girl, but they're all girls. 13 years between me and the oldest. All right. We have seven. My mom had four kids in seven years. And my mom's birthday was yesterday, my launch day. And it was a fluke. Like the publishing house had it that day, like just coincidentally. What is that special thing that readers will always get when they read a Rochelle Weinstein novel? Tissue. No, I'm kidding. I think you're going to get that touching emotional cord. I think that that's thread through all my books and some tissues. And some tissues. Going to need some tissues. You said you like have all these ideas when you're in the shower, walking the dog. So you get this idea. Then what happens after that? Okay. So I'm thinking like now, like I have a couple ideas, which I will eventually Mm -hmm. pitch to my current agent and we'll Mm -hmm. figure out which one we think would be the best one for the market and for me to write. And as far as my daily writing process, Mm -hmm. we talk all the time about plotters and pantsers. I've always been a pantser. I sit down, I know where the story starts. I know where the story ends. And then my characters sort of take me where I want to go. This last book though, I did very detailed outline and I worked with an accountability partner, which was phenomenal. Camille DeMaio, who I love. And I did a thousand words a day, five days a week. And my goal was to have like a 92,000 word manuscript by May 1. And I did it. And I found that working with an accountability partner is so helpful. You know, it's okay to be a little pressured. It's okay to have a little competition. You know, I would go on and I'd see what Camille's doing and I'd be like, oh, she's at these words. And I'm like, (laughs) and even if you're writing junk, you know what? You just get it on the page because the first draft is the worst draft, you know, just get it on the page and keep going. Cause you can always go back and 
polish. So that was my writing process for this past book. And to be honest with you, I think that I will do it again because it just was so helpful. And I think having that detailed outline helped me Mm -hmm. so much meeting that goal instead of flying by the seat of my pants. But did the characters still take you in different directions? Yeah, 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 yeah. And they still are, but the bones are there. The bones are there. But there's those little details and little changes that the characters, I sort of just see them like moving and shifting. And yeah. I've done it different ways. And I've tried the outline where I had it by scene, by chapter. And I felt like if I didn't outline, I'd end up in the ditch. I was worried about that. So I kind of needed to know where I was going. So I'm very ADHD. So I needed to know where I was going. But then I don't kind of get in a rut. You know, we're talking about that spark. I don't feel the magic. I feel like I'm just sitting here typing a scene because I'm supposed to interviewed a bunch of people who told me about Jessica Brody's Save the Cat for a Novel. Mm-hmm. And so I listened to the audiobook and I did that for this book. I'm in revisions now and it has helped so much Yeah, just because it gives me that flexibility. When I start to veer off, I go back and look and it's just a, it's not by beats necessarily. It's just the big stuff. Everybody has a different process. And I've heard yeah. that one sounds like a very interesting one. I sometimes think if you get too detailed, then you're pigeonholing yourself and you're Mm -hmm. sort of cramping your creativity. My very detailed was like a five page synopsis and I didn't go into chapters. You know, you have to have your characters, what's motivating Mm -hmm. them. But I think it has to be that fine balance between your overview, but not too detailed because you want your characters to be able to take you places. I don't know if you could do that so much though in historical fiction. I think historical fiction authors you know, have to do a lot yeah. more, which would be more, more exacting. And it's hard too, because if you do this really detailed outline, you know, we get kind of precious about our time and we've yeah. spent all this time and, oh, I, I've got to adhere to that. And if I don't, I've wasted all this time. Well, if the book sucks, then you've wasted all your time. So I've kind of moved yeah. more towards the pantser side, you know, finding yeah. that middle ground because I don't do well when I know everything that's going to happen. Then you know what works best for you. Right. Every author, it's totally different. I need to know how it ends. Mm-hmm. My middle, this, that saggy middle is the most difficult part for me. I can't get locked into the middle because it's the bulk of the book. And then I feel like I've lost my creative expression. You get up in the morning and you get your coffee and go, well, crap, I'm in the saggy middle. What are you going to do? Saggy middle. That is the hardest part. And that is the most challenging. And sometimes I just have to walk away from it. And I have thinking days. Like I think about my characters. I think about where they need to go, where they haven't been yet. What's stalling them. What's, and I don't drink coffee. But you eat nachos. I do. I wake up. I have my cup of water. <laughs> I sit Do the nachos cup. help? No, but wine definitely helps. Wine helps. I'm glass, like sometimes, like, you know, certainly not in the morning. You know, sometimes at night, if I'm really stumped, like, I'll, you know, and we've had a glass of wine with dinner and I go back to my computer, I just, it's a little bit more free flow for me. Like I let loose a little bit. I, I'm a little bit more in touch, you know. Yeah, but you know what? It's also the same thing as if like if I'm in North Carolina where I do a lot of my writing and I go for a long hike. The hiking in nature does the same thing for me. I feel like rejuvenated. I feel regenerated. I feel like I've had some time to like let my brain think about things. And, you know, I come back with like a whole fresh idea. You have to take space from your manuscript. You have to. Let's talk about North Carolina because this book goes to North Carolina. What is your connection to North Carolina? I was raised in a family of four with a single mom. And my mom in the summers 
worked at this camp called Mountain Lake in Hendersonville, North Carolina. And in order for her to work at the camp, the four of us had to go and be campers. I know that sounds really terrible, but I was four years old and you had to be like nine to start at the camp. So, but anyway, so you, you start at 1G, you go to 2G, 3G. So they put me in 1G at four years old and I stayed there for like three years. <laughs> Maybe you had to start the camp at seven, which is scary for a four-year-old, which is a whole other book. But I was exposed to the mountains of North Carolina at a very young age. I was there from four to nine years old. And then my mom left that camp. I spent summers at another sleepaway camp in Mountain City, Georgia, And then I just loved the area. I love the smell. I love the feeling. I love the mountains, the views, the just, I love hiking. I love the waterfalls. So we would just like my husband and I would just go visit there every summer. And ultimately we got a summer home in North Carolina in Beach Mountain. We've been there for about, I'd say 12 years. I think my third book, Where We Fall, was based in the area. And this book, it's a fictitious town in North Carolina called Crystal. It's really modeled after Beach Mountain. And, you know, Grandfather Wineries in it, which really exists. And the Prayer Tree in Blowing Rock really exists, which is such a great story. Prayer Tree, I can't wait till the readers read that part. And Watauga River, I really did learn how to fly fish there for the book. It's just a place rooted in my childhood. It roots me, it grounds me, and it's my happy place. So you fly fish. Mm -hmm. Does that kind of still your mind a little bit? Oh my God. It's so relaxing and so peaceful. I mean, there's different fly fishing. You could be in a boat or you could be in your full waders and, you know, literally you're in like a rubber suit and you're like trudging through the river and there's nothing glamorous about it. I've done both. It doesn't really matter. I love just the stillness and the quiet and it's just so peaceful and so beautiful. And I don't even care about the fish. For me, it's not about the fish. When I'm with my husband and the boys, it's about the fish, catching a fish. It's the peacefulness. Casting to me is just meditative. It's just trying to get it to land right. People don't realize how different it is from regular fishing. I mean, you're mm-hmm. not like, you know, reeling them in and, you know, and your, your flies on top of the water. It's not like it's underwater. And it's just a whole entirely different type of fishing. Well, and you catch and release and, and then you have those big fish that just get bigger and bigger and more challenging. It's, it's a lot of fun. What do you wish you had known before you began publishing? I think that I always knew it was going to be difficult. I just don't think you ever realize how difficult. And even if you think you've hit success, you're only successful as your last book. And it's about stamina and it's about thick skin. And it's it has to be something that you really love to do because you're not doing it for the money. I mean, I don't know about other people, but like if you're doing it to hit the New York Times bestseller list, it's so incredibly difficult for authors to hit that list. You have to be doing this because you truly, truly love it and you can't not do it. What would you tell somebody who's just now thinking of sitting down and sketching out a book? Keep effing going. Thank you, Rochelle. This has been so fun as I knew it would be. Talking to you is talking to an old friend. I love being on your show, Chris. So thank you. The book, When We Let Go, is out right now. To learn more, visit RochelleWeinstein.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. 
Thanks so much for your support.